Um, so, poschim b'chavod ha'achsanya, and knowing Ushi for the little bit that I know him, but knowing him well, he, that's all he'll want me to say about him. So, thank you, Ushi, and thank you to Ushi Zrebitzin for hosting this, and thank you for everybody for coming out, really. Baruch um, my father, Baruch um, the Rav, who I saw a moment ago, and my good friends. What I want to speak about tonight is, obviously, you know, while this is not going to be a series of shirim on the Mo'adim, if I came during before Purim and coming before Pesach, it's hard not to speak about the Zmanim that we find ourselves in. So we find ourselves now in preparation for the Chag of Pesach. And Chazal, more significantly than by other Mo'adim, they seem to give us a direction as to how to prepare for Pesach. Chazal used the Lashon of Shoalim Vidorshim Shloshim Yamim Kodem Achag. That we ask and we search out the halachos of Pesach 30 days before the Chag of Pesach. So that actually starts happening on Purim. But the Meforshim and the Postkim discuss whether we learn out from Pesach that this is a halacha that's applicable to all Yamim Tovim. Are we supposed to learn the halachos and are we supposed to learn all about the Chag 30 days before the Chag? Or is it only something with regards to Pesach? Now, while it is a machloka saposkim, at the end of the day, there are different shitos, and there are certain shitos say that shoalim vidorshim kodem achag is something unique and specific to Pesach. And in the derech of Rav Hutner, what I would like to speak about tonight is what does Pesach and shoalim vidorshim have to do with one another? What is the connectivity, what is the association between the act of searching something out, of asking questions for the sake of clarity, and the Chag of Pesach, which is the Chag of Chirus, the holiday of freedom, the birthday of Am Yisrael, where we leave that initial traumatic space that we were born into. Meaning, imagine living, starting off our experience in Mitzrayim. Now, Mitzrayim is difficult to understand when you're looking at the sources, because it's very difficult for us to understand what servitude is, what slavery is. But when a person understands that Mitzrayim, or the Mitzar, the constrictions that we find ourselves in, the limited spaces in our lives where we want to do more, but we're not able to. We want more out of certain people, places, or things, but we're not able to get that which we want. Those, that's our Mitzrayim, when we find ourselves stuck. So when it comes time for Pesach, we all find ourselves in Mitzrayim. We all find ourselves in our personal Mitzrayim, in the place where we're stuck, whether it's with relationships, whether it's with jobs, whether it's with attitudes, whether it's with ideas. And our job for Pesach is to learn how to exit our own personal Mitzrayim. Because although we have to remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim every day, the Baal Shem Tov taught us that there's two types of Geula from Mitzrayim. There's two types of redemption from Egypt. There's the collective historical redemption from Egypt, leaving the historical servitude that the Jewish people had at the hands of the Egyptians and Paro and his army. And there's also the personal individual exile that each of us live out in our daily lives. And when we say by... When we say by Kabbalah Shabbos, Karva El Nafshi that the redemption of my soul has come near, the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, the Holy Baal Shem Tov, taught us that we're not talking about a historical redemption, but we're talking about an individual redemption. That each person finds themselves leaving their Mitzrayim every day. But that also means that we find ourselves in our personal Mitzrayim every day as well. So if Geulas Mitzrayim, if the redemption from exile is to have any meaning for us in 2019, it needs to be seen as the question of how do I leave those places of constriction within my life? How do I remove myself from those bonds and that heaviness that I feel myself stuck in? And each person, Levi Odeh Maras Nafsho, each person knows what they're stuck in. 
Each person knows what areas in their lives they'd like to move out of, but they've been unable to move out of it. And the shame and the guilt and the difficulties that we find because we can't move out of it. And when it comes time for Pesach Mitzrayim, it's a time for us to try and think about and meditate on where am I trying to leave from? What do I want for myself? What is that expansivity that I want for myself? What are those areas, those vistas in my life that I need redemption from? So when it comes to, when it comes to the Chag of Pesach, there's a paradox. And the paradox, again, I, I use the word paradox very specifically. It's not a contradiction in terms. A contradiction is when you have two postulates and each of them are fighting against one another and one of them is going to lose. A says A, B says B, and then it's a question of whether A is stronger than B or B is stronger than A. That's a contradiction in terms. A paradox, however, which as we're going to see in however many shirim that I'm zolcheh to give here, paradox is going to be the animating feature in them. Paradox is not that A and B are fighting, but paradox means that A and B are both true simultaneously. That what the Torah and Svarim HaKadoshim referred to as Trey HaFachim Benosa Echad. Two how almost miraculously at the same moment. So we confront the paradox when it comes to Pesach. On the one hand, Pesach is the holiday of Emunah. The Zohar HaKadosh uses Lashonos when it comes to eating matzah, of Meichel Demehim Nusa, the bread of faith. And the Vilna Gon, says that every bite that we have of matzah is not only a mitzvah minatora, but it's also drawing down more faith and more amuna into our lives. And we see, according to the Tor's brother, actually, the Tor brings down in the name of his brother, Rabbi Yechiel, in Simen Shin Yud Ches, in Hilchos Rosh Chodesh, he says that the Shlosha Regalim are connected the Shlosha Avos. And Pesach is connected Avraham, because Avraham is the Av of Amuna. So we see that Pesach is all about Emuna. Pesach is all about the faithfulness that we have when it comes to believing in Hashem in our lives and history and in our personal lives. But on the other hand, when a person confronts the framework or the context of Leil HaSeder, it seems to almost be the polar opposite of Emuna. Because the entirety of the Seder, and this is one of these kind of facetious moments in Chazal where they refer to the night of the Seder as Leil HaSeder, which seems to mean an orderly night. But when you penetrate into what Leil HaSeder is all about, it's disorder. It's entirely disorderly. Everything is upside down. It's a v'nahapochu. That everything is not the way it's supposed to be. When we look at Leil HaSeder, we're confronted with certain questions. We're confronted with certain attacks on our faith that the Haggadah doesn't give us relief from. That we're, we ask four questions, Manishtana. And then our fathers or our mothers, whoever's reading the Haggadah, give us answers. And if you're a thinking person, the answer is not a good answer. It has nothing to do with what I asked. I asked four questions, and the answer is coming out of left field. And when we look at Chadgadya, for example, and the Tzadikim, Rabbi Nassim of Nimerov points this out, the Chassam Sofer points this out, the Vilnagon points this out. That when it comes to Chadgadya, which seems to be this children's song that we sing at the end of the Haggadah, what we're confronted with when we actually penetrate deeply into what's taking place in the narrative of this story, of this cause and effect retribution of justice in the world, what a person finds is that it's entirely unjust. That at the end of the day, the Malach HaMavas, who comes along and kills the Shochet, he was right. He was meant to kill the Shochet. If you look at the cause and effect of the entire story, the Malach HaMavas was in the right. He was the one who was justified in his actions to take the life of the Shochet. 
But then HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes and takes the life of the Malach HaMavis and it's entirely unjust. And the Chassam Sofer points out, he says, what are we trying to teach our children here? That justice doesn't exist? But the Chassam Sofer says that the main purpose of the Seder is to show us that there are going to be certain questions that are unanswerable. So on the one hand, we have this concept that the Seder and Pesach is a time of emuna and faith. On the other hand, when we confront the Seder, we find that everything is upside down and it's a time for us to question our faith. And what I want to speak about tonight is specifically how that act of questioning, how that act of questioning the justice of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, questioning the presence of Hashem in the world, and more importantly, the questions that we have for Hashem in our own personal lives. And again, Lev Yodei Amaris Nafshel. Sadiqim used to read Manishtana. That was their minhag. After all, the children read Manishtana, the Sadiqim would read Manishtana. And the story goes that the Kedushas Levi, Rav Levi Yitzchak of Bredich, of Schusia Ganaleinu, the Sangoria of Yisrael, a person who no matter what the situation was, was able to be Melamed Schus on Hashem and Bnei Yisrael. And the story goes that it came time for Levi Yitzchak, Rav Levi Yitzchak, to read the Manishtana. And he put his head down and he cried. And they were used to that because all tzaddikim have their inyanim. But then he cried some more and people started to get a little bit antsy. And then he cried more. And after hours, the Kedushas Levi lifted up his head and his chassidim looked at him and they said, Rebbe, are you, are you ready to read the Manishtana? And the story goes that the Kedushas Levi responded, he said, four questions? He said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, do you think I have only four questions? I have millions of questions. In our modern consciousness, we could imagine the Kedushas Levi saying, I have six million questions. He said, these four questions don't even begin to touch the kashas that I have on Hashem the kashas that I have on God and his interaction with the world. And the Kedusha Slavi continued to cry and he said, but I have a muna that there are answers. I have a muna that to all these questions that I've been asking, there are answers. What those answers are, I'm not sure. But the Kedusha Slavi said that I have a muna that these questions are answerable. And then he was able to say Manishtana. So it's really this story of the Kedusha Slavi which is going to be what the shir is about. How on Pesach, when we confront this paradox that it's supposed to be a night of Amuna, but we find ourselves questioning HaKadosh Baruch Hu, questioning things, how the secret of Judaism, the secret of Pesach, is really that within our questioning, within the questions that we have on ourselves, on our loved ones, on the world, and on God, that's where we find our Amuna in Hashem. That typically, when a person confronts the world... We assume that our job is to know things absolutely. The more knowledge I can have, the more clarity that I can have about certain things in my life, in the world, in my personal world, in my collective world, the better off I am. The more clarity I have, the closer I can come to God. The more clarity I have, the better I can serve Hashem. And questions are typically seen as inessential steps on the way towards an answer. That a good kasha is going to be considered simply an inessential movement, a step in the path to a good answer. So the kasha is not part and parcel of my avodas Hashem. The kasha is simply something inessential that I need to throw away in order to come to my answer. But what the Seder is going to teach us and what the Tzadikim and Rav Hutner and the Sod Yisharim and Rabbi Nachman are going to teach us about Leil HaSeder is that sometimes it's within the questioning itself without answers that we come closest to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we need to sometimes relinquish our intense need for answers and certitude in this world 
and embrace the fact that what Hashem wants from us is not certainty or knowledge, but faith, emuna. Emuna is this paradoxical sense of faith, which when we actually try and translate the word to ourselves, is contingent on doubt. Without doubt, without lack of clarity, without darkness or confusion in our lives, there would be no room for emuna. Emuna is dependent on Laila, the emunasra balelos, the Pasuk says. My faith is contingent and dependent on the darkness of my life. If there was no darkness, if there was no concealment, then everything would be yidiyah, everything would be knowledge. That's not what Hashem wants from us. Hashem wants from us faith. And faith demands a certain level of concealment, a certain level of questioning, of not knowing at the end of the day whether something is true or not true, and yet nevertheless being willing to continue doing what I'm doing in spite of the lack of evidence. And when it comes time for Pesach, the birth of the Jewish people, what we're experiencing is the birthplace of Amuna. And the greatest way to come to Amuna is learning how to question. So Pesach is really the birthplace, the ability of the Jewish people to start questioning Hashem, to start having a relationship with Hashem that goes via the She'ela V'tshuva. When you look at Chazal, on Tavkuftes Zayin Amaralath of Mesechas Psachim, one of the formative constitutive halachos of the Night of the Savior is that it has to be B'derech She'ela V'tshuva. That when you're teaching your children and you're transitioning the Chachma of Torah from generation to generation, it needs to be through questions and answers. Which is the opposite of what indoctrination is. Indoctrination is, hey, new generation, this is what's true. Accept it and get with the program or else. Question and answer is already giving room for authenticity, giving room for individual and personal understanding of the subject matter. And Chazal and Lahalacha, this is Paskin, they have an amazing statement. They say, if you don't have children in your house to ask those questions, then your wife should ask the questions. And if you don't have your wife in the house to ask the questions, then the person you're with should ask the questions. And then Chazal have this remarkable idea, and it's Paskin Lahalacha. If you're having Seder by yourself, if you're having Seder all alone, it's still necessary for you to go through the Seder B'derech She'el V'tshuva. You need to go through the gimmicks, the narrative of questioning and answering. And Rafutner threw out a hundred drashos in his Mamar Mampachad Yitzchak, points out that this is constitutive of the Seder. That the Seder has some deep, intimate relationship with this concept of questioning. Of the individual being able to question God, to question themselves, to question the world. And what we're going to see from our different tzaddikim is how questioning can give birth to a deeper level of faith than answers give. Now, like we said in the name of the Tour's brother of Yechiel, Pesach is connected to Avraham Avinu. Now, there's something profound that happens when it comes to Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu, the Medrash tells us, was three or 13, but the way that he found faith, the way that he embraced ethical monotheism, was by the questioning of his heart. Avraham Avinu was walking around. And it says he confronts a bira dolekes, a lit-up palace. And that Avram Avinu says, is it possible that there's no architect to this palace? Is it possible that there's somebody who created this palace and left the scene? No, there must be a bal habira. There must be somebody who, who created this palace. Now, parenthetically, Rav Chiyo Michal Tukachinsky, 
who was an incredible tzaddik who lived in Yerushalayim. He was a student of Rav Kook and a student of Rav Yosef Chaim Zunnenfeld as well. He's more familiar to people because he wrote his opus basically on, on Hilchos Avelus. He wrote a three-volume set called Gesher HaChaim. And the third volume is Hashkafa of Misa. How do we confront the concept of death as Jewish people? And it was translated, it's called Gesher HaChaim, The Bridge of Life. It's a profoundly remarkable work. And he reads this Medrash in such a remarkable way. He says, Avram Avinu finds this Bira Dolekes. He finds this lit up palace. And as a student growing up in normal, modern Orthodox or yeshiva schools, you imagine like a, a hotel, a Pesach hotel with all the lights, right? And Avram must have said, wow, this is really beautiful. There must be an architect here. There must be a really smart person who's running this Pesach program. But Rav, Michal, Rav, Rav Tukachinsky says that Bira Dolekes, a lit up palace, doesn't mean that it was illuminated. Dolekes can also mean that it was in flames. That the entire world was in flames during Avram Avinu's time. There was child sacrifice, there was suffering. And what Avram Avinu confronted on a daily basis was the suffering of individuals. And when Avram Avinu saw the suffering of individuals and the lack of clarity in the world, he said there needs to be a God in this world. It was specifically in the suffering and the brokenness that Avram Avinu saw that he learned there must be a God. So it's specifically from the questioning of Avram Avinu's heart that he was able to come in contact and access that amuna that was waiting for him to access it. And so the Sod Yisharim, the Sod Yisharim was the third generation of Ishbitzer Radzin Hasidim, or Tzadikim really. Started off with the Kotzker Rebbe, who was a student of Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa. Rav Simcha Bunim had a student, the Kotzker Rebbe, who like Rav Weinberger, my Rebbe, said that he could take even the sweetest Pasuk and stab you in the heart with it. <laughs> And the Kutzker Rebbe had a student of Mordechai Yosef of Ishbitz, who was the Ishbitz Rebbe, who on Simcha's Torah in 1840 decided to leave the court of the Kutzker Rebbe and start his own school of Ishbitz. Now, Ishbitz of Hasidus went through different variations. There was the Beis Yaakov, who was his son, who was a Gavadik at Haman Chacham, and his writings on the Torah are remarkable. And then he had a grandson, the Sod Yasharim. Sod Yasharim also brought Tchelas back into the world. So the Sod Yasharim's writings are remarkable. And the Sod Yisharim says something as follows. He says, what was it about Avram Avinu? What was it about Avram Avinu in this initial encounter with this burning palace that brought about this faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And I'm going to read and translate because the words of Tzadikim are, are machaya the lev. They, they give birth to the heart, even if a person doesn't understand the Hebrew itself. He says as follows, and this is Sod Yisharim on the Moadim. So this is in Leil Pesach and it's on Daf 25. He says as follows. And just like we saw by Avraham Avinu, again, who is the paradigm of Pesach, who is the paradigm of learning to come in contact with Hashem, specifically through questioning, specifically through that feeling that we have in our hearts, whether it's with our families or our spouses or our jobs, that there's something wrong here, that things are not the way they're supposed to be, that I want things to be different, I want so badly that X, Y, or Z should be differently but things are not changing. And that in the heart of hearts, when a person goes to bed or when they say Shema Yisrael, there's still a sipuk, there's a point of doubt which they say, maybe none of this means anything because I'm not getting what I want. That questioning, that questioning that each of us finds. He says, Kemosha Matzinu Gabe Avram Avinu, Lishol Mi Bara Eile. Avram Avinu asks the most important question. He says, who created all of this? Who created the traffic on the Van Wick? Who decided I should have to wait in line for an hour instead of 30 minutes and be late to work? 
Who decided that my kids should get into trouble at work and make me realize that I'm not doing my parenting properly? Who decided that the dreams that I had of a finishing shas by the age of 40 turn out to be finishing shas at the age of 60? Who decided that my dreams and the way I want life to go is not the way life is going? That's the modern question of Amrav Amino. For Avram, it was more like who decided to kill children? Who decided to offer child sacrifices? Who decided that my father should be selling these pagan idols which are meaningless? But for us, if we want to access these questions of Avram Avinu, and again, Rabbi Nachman teaches us very deeply that each of us is Avram Avinu, and each of us needs to see the burning palace, the world on fire, and decide to find Hashem in that world on a daily basis, where are these questions coming from? Mi bara Ela, who created all of this? Kimi kaimel and the Sodi Sharm quoting the Zohar says, this question of me, of who, this original question that Avram Avinu asked, which is, who built all of this? Who created this world that I find myself so lonely in? Me'ever lanahar, when the rest of the world is doing their thing and I'm sitting here trying to take days off for Yantif and trying to retain some sense of morality or ethical integrity in this world that seems to have gone completely haywire. Who is it that created this space that I'm finding myself in? Like the Medrash says, that Avram Avinu asked, who is the architect here? Who created all of this? That Avram Avinu asked, where does all of this come from? And this is where Ishbitz and Radzin is most profound. Because they say that the answer for Avram's question of who created this, Hashem says back to Avram, the fact that you're questioning the world is enough of a proof that I'm here. You don't need an answer, Avram Avinu. You don't need me to reveal myself to you. All you need to know is the simple fact that your heart is questioning things, that your heart is wondering and murmuring, where is God in this world, or why is there suffering in this world, or why are things not the way this world should go? That questioning itself, that unsettledness in the heart of Avram Avinu, was enough of a proof for Avram that Hashem existed. It was specifically in questioning that Avram Avinu woke up and he said, where is Hashem? Or why is the world suffering like this? Or why are things one way or another way? That was enough of a proof of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the Sod Yisharim says in this language, he says, Amr lo Hashem Yisbarach, Hashem says to him, Shezos HaSheelah, this question that you're asking of where is God? Hu meyesad de aretz. This is what the world is based on, questioning where is Hashem? Not the answer, but the question itself. And the fact that you're questioning where I am is enough of an answer that I exist. Because he says, who do you think gave you the neshama to question me? The Jewish soul is rooted in the fact that we question, where are you, God? The first question that Hashem asks Adam Arishon, the first question which Rav Tzadok and the Gra tells us, if you want to understand the essence of something, you look to the first instantiation of that event in Tanakh. The first encounter of God and Adam Arishon after the chait of Adam Arishon and being kicked out and divorced from Gan Eden is Ayaka. Where are you, Adam? Our entire relationship with God is, is constituted and based on questioning. Where are you, Hashem? That's our response to Hashem. Hashem says to Adam Arishon, where are you? And our response is, where are you, Hashem? And that questioning itself is the relationship that we have with Hashem that the question itself is enough of an answer. There's a concept that that I can learn out more about myself from my enemies than I can know about myself from within my own heart. 
So the classic anti-Semitic trope, which says that a Jew answers a question with a question, is also telling us something about the Jewish neshama. That the Jewish person is more interested in a good question than they are in a good answer. Because the question itself is what tells us that the fact that I'm questioning, the fact that I'm feeling uneasy in this world, like Rabbi Nachman says that the fact that a Jew finds himself uncomfortable in the world is a point of joy. Because when we feel uncomfortable in this world, it reminds us that this world is not really our place anyway. That our true world is Olam Haba. That the fact that my heart is unsettled, the fact that I don't see Hashem in my daily life, the fact that on Pesach night, when it comes to the Manishtana, I'm not really asking about Matzah versus Morah, but I'm really asking about why is it that X, Y, or Z happened in my life? Why is it that my relationship, which was so joyous a few years ago, has lost some of its intensity? Why is it that my children, who I go to work daily and fight Melchamos for, is struggling at school? Those are the questions that I'm really asking. That on Manishtana, we're not asking the natural four questions, but it's the permission that Hashem gives us on Leil Pesach to ask those questions. And each person, when they read the Haggadah, when they come to the point of Kan HaBen Shoel, right, in any Haggadah, whether it's a Maxwell House Haggadah or it's a Haggadah from Tzadikim, before Manishtana, there's a headline that says Kan HaBen Shoel. Here the son asks. And there's a minhag by tzaddikim, and also the most broken Jews in the world, that when it says, Kan ben Shoel, you take a break, and you ask Hashem your questions. You say, you take five minutes, and you murmur in your heart, and you ask Hashem every single question that you have. Because on Leil Pesach, that's the freedom. The freedom is that as Jewish people, our faith is not based on obedience. Our faith is based on the ability to confront Hashem and say, Hashem, where are you in my life? And like the Sodi Sharm is telling us, the fact that we're questioning itself is enough of a proof. The fact that we feel that Hashem should show Himself more in our lives, that's a simon that we have such a deep emuna that Hashem is present in our lives. So again, what the Sodi Sharm is showing us, that this halacha that says, even if you're alone, even if you're by yourself on Leil HaSeder, you still need to do it by Derech She'ela V'tshuva, is because the She'ela is the Iker. The questioning itself is the Iker of Leil HaPesach. It's our ability to come in front of Hashem and say, Hashem, I am doing what I can do. I am really trying my best here. And tonight I have the freedom to ask you, where are you in my life? And the Chiddush is that we don't have to wait for an answer. The fact that we're questioning itself is enough of a raya, is enough of a proof that we still have a relationship with Hashem. In my practice with addicts and alcoholics who have really hit what we refer to as rock bottom on a clinical level, you find very often that individuals are terrified that their families are no longer going to be there for them. And what I try and tell my clients on a regular basis is that hatred and anger is not the opposite of love. Apathy is the opposite of love. If your family members ignored you completely, if they stopped asking you questions about how you're going to turn your life around, that's when you should worry. But if your family members are busy arguing with you and asking you questions of how you're going to change your life around, that's the truest sign that they still love you. That the questioning relationship that we have with Hashem is one of dveikus. Nobody revealed this to the world greater than the Piyazetz Nareba Hashem Yom Komdoma. Rav Kalanimus Kamen Shapira, who was the Rav, the, the Admor of the Warsaw Ghetto. Nobody lived in hell like the Piyazetz Nareba. And nobody chose to find God in hell like the Piyazetz Nareba. 
And the avoda of the Piyazat Rebbe, if we think about it kind of retroactively, was to show that, wow, it's one thing to find Hashem in Gan Eden. That's not such a chiddish. But to find Hashem in hell and Gehenna as well, that's a really big God. A God that can find, be found in hell as well. The Piyazat Rebbe's entire avoda was to teach his students that fight with God, question God, argue with God, just speak to Him. It doesn't matter what you're saying as long as you're in conversation. So when a Jew comes to Manashtan and it says, Kan ben Shoel, it's okay to say to Hashem, I'm unhappy with X, Y, and Z. That's the way that we show our amuna. That even after everything has been said and done in 2019, we're still asking the same questions. We're still questioning, where are you, Hashem? Like the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Shusei would say, Ad Masai, until when? That's Belashon of Tshuva. You find an incredible thing in Chazal, that any time Atana confronts the sugya of Mashiach, any time Atana is trying to figure out where Mashiach is or when Mashiach is coming, their first encounter with the individual who they think might have an answer is, Emasaika Asimar, when is Mashiach coming? Or Hechan Mashiach, where is Mashiach? It's always in the form of a question. That it's the questioning itself which allows us to find Geula. The fact that I find myself in a world where I don't see Hashem absolutely revealed, the fact that I live a life where I don't see Hashem present in every aspect of myself, is enough of a simon that Hashem is in my life, because if Hashem wasn't in my life, I wouldn't be asking those questions. I would have given up on that relationship long ago. The persistence of the faith that we have in Hashem, the persistence of our questioning, is what is the simin mufak, the truest sense that we have a deep connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rav Huttner understood this better than everybody. And again, I just read from the Sod Yasharim. So Rav Huttner in his Gewaldika way, you know, Rav Huttner is one of my biggest tzaddikim, but one thing Rav Huttner didn't like to do is quote who he was getting his writings from. Now that wasn't because Chas Vashalom Rav Huttner wasn't accrediting the proper sources, but Rav Huttner was very well aware that if you came to a chevra who was yeshivish and you tried to say a teaching from Rav Kook, he tried to say a teaching from the Sod Yasharim, and then people would say, okay, this guy's crazy. So Rav said, I'll put on a spadak, and I'll put on the nice coat, and I'll say it Belashon HaMaharal, I'll speak it Belashon the altar of Slobodka, names that people recognize, and this way, like a stealth bomber, I'll be able to enter into a territory without being caught. But Rav Moshe Shapiro, one of the biggest tzaddikim we had in our generation, used to say that everything that Rav says when he doesn't quote it, is from the Sod Yasharim or the Meishiloach, this family of Radzin and Ishbitz. When Rav Huttner says Kedushe Elyon, that means it was from Rav Kook. When he says that I heard from Kedushe Elyon, from the Elevated Holy Ones, the, the, the Medrash on that is that it was Rav Kook. But everything else is Ishbitz or Sod Yasharim. And Rav Huttner says as follows, and again, this is just one mimer from within the hundreds of mimers that have been printed on Pesach, because his son-in-law, Rav Yonasan David Shlita, published Mamre Pachad Yitzchak, which if anyone's interested in entering into Pachad Yitzchak, that's an easier way. He also added another hundred Mamrim. So Rav Huttner says, and this is going to be in Mamre Yud Zion. He says as follows, Hine mitzvah sipur yitziyatz mitzrayim chovasahi lehatchil b'knus ulusayim b'shevach. Right? Betchila haya ovde avodazara hayo avoseinu. We start off talking about the bad things. We start off talking about how low B'nai Yisrael were, how broken they were. And only then do we come to the elevated status of B'nai Yisrael. So we start in darkness and we come to light. We start at nighttime and we come to day. We start in suffering and we come to pleasure. 
We start in brokenness and we come to being fixed. Not only is the Pesach Seder associated around this order, but our entire lives are associated around this order. In the beginning of our mornings, the feeling is, holy cow, how am I supposed to do another one of these days? How am I supposed to do this again? Get up, sit in traffic, go to work, be with the family. How in the world am I supposed to do it again? But the Chiddush of being a Jew is that by the end of the day, when you say Shema Alamita, you thank Hashem for your day. That you wake up thinking that we don't have the Koyach to do it. And at the end of the day, you're begging Hashem for another day. That's the Chiddush of what being a Jew means. You start off Bekitsira, you start off with constriction, and you end off with Harchava, with expansion. So Rufutner says, we need to start the Haggadah with Gnus, with, you know, depraved statements about Avos HaOlam, and we end off with Shavach. And the way we accomplish this is by talking about the fact that before redemption from Egypt, our forefathers were Ovdei Avodazara. They were stuck in polytheism, in a faithless faith, something that didn't provide any comfort. And at the end, we found HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Rav Huttner continues and he says as follows. He says, the fact that the entire Seder is formatted around beginning in darkness and ending in light is also why the entire Seder has to be Bederach She'elavachuva, a question and then an answer. Because Rav Huttner says the questions that we find ourselves in in our lives are the darkness. It's when we're stuck. It's when we don't know which way to turn. When I ask a question to someone, it means that I'm implying that I don't know which way to turn at this point. I don't know which way is right and which way is wrong. And by starting with the question and then eventually coming to an answer, it's very similar, it's synonymous to starting in the gnus, in the depraved nature of B'nai Israel, and eventually finding ourselves in redemption, or starting in darkness and ending in light. And the footner says as follows, he says, Cain ofen hasipor bad davka betoras teshuva al she'ela. Specifically on Leil Pesach, when we're free, we start off with questions and then we come to an answer. That it's obvious to each person that an answer that comes after difficult questions is much greater and more pleasurable than an answer that came stam. By suffering over it, by questioning it, by saying to Hashem, where are you? Ayaka Hashem. Why is this happening in my life? The answers that come afterwards are so much greater than had we never questioned in the beginning. It's one thing to be given a gift with everything contained in that gift. We feel embarrassed, we feel shamed. It's Nehemiah de Kisufa, like the Ramchal would say. It's bread of shame. It's another thing to go through the process of a She'ela, of going through the process of that bone-breaking kasha, of asking a kasha and a question and saying, Hashem, I don't know which way to turn right now. I don't know what's the right thing to do in this situation. When, a, when an answer comes afterwards, that's of a much greater value, says Rav Huttner. And he says, therefore, the entirety of the Haggadah of Pesach, the entirety of the experience of, of chayrus, of freedom, of what it means to be a Jewish person, is to recognize that it's specifically through the questions and through the darkness of our experience that we come to a deeper level of joy and answers. And Rav Huttner says as follows, he said, it's very similar he says, We see from this statement, When he was told to He wasn't told where he was going to go. 
It would have been one thing if the forefather of Judaism was told exactly where he was going to go. It wouldn't have been such a chiddush. Hashem says, leave your place and go to X, Y, or Z. That would have been easy to listen to God's command. The chiddush of Avram is that he was given no answer. All Hashem said was wander. He said, walk away from your place of origin and wander until you find the place where you're meant to be. That is what it means to be a Jew. That is the cheris of Pesach, to realize that Hashem, you sent us out in this questioning path to find you in the world. You didn't give us answers. And sometimes we have to find you in the question itself. That when my heart is questioning, Hashem, where do you want me to go? Sometimes that's the deepest relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu that I have. The Cholzeh says our footner in all of this, The entire purpose that Hashem hid from us, the direction or the destination of where we're supposed to go, is because Hashem wants us to serve Him by way of the question itself. Hashem wants our questioning heart. Hashem wants us to be concerned in the world. Our anxieties that we feel... When a father or mother wakes up in the morning wondering what's going to be with X, Y, Z, child one, two, three, four, how are they going to handle the day at school? How is business going to go? How is my relationship going to go? How are my parents going to be? What is this day going to bring me? That anxiety, that anticipatory fear that everything in the future is threatening and a person feels overwhelmed, what we need to realize is that is the most fertile place to serve Hashem. When a person is able to be miskaber and say to themselves, in spite of the anxiety of not knowing, in spite of all of the millions of questions going on in my heart right now, because at the end of the day we know absolutely nothing about what's going to happen next. The only control we have of anything, if we have any control, is how we react to things. But we have zero control about what happens. And then anxiety is enough to be paralyzing to a yid. But the Chiddush is that it's exactly in that space of questioning what happens next that we serve Hashem in the deepest way. We're able to say to Hashem that it's specifically in the She'ela. It's specifically in the questioning of you. Where are you, Hashem? How are you going to manifest in my world today that I find contact with Hashem? It's Kan Ben Shoel. The entire night of the Seder is about asking Hashem. Saying, Hashem, where are you? Maybe once upon a time there was Gula from Mitzrayim, but where is my Gula? Where is my individualized freedom from the confines and the constraints that I find myself stuck in, both emotionally, psychologically, religiously, spiritually, personally, on a day-to-day basis? What this means is that Hashem gives us room for the questions. Typically, the way faith is associated is that questioning God is seen as, you know, it's seen as kfira. It's seen as an arrogant gesture. But what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us on Pesach is that it's okay to question me as long as you're talking to me. That's how Avram Avinu found me. And Rufutner says that this concept of She'el Vachuva, of a question and then an answer, of lack and then fullness, of darkness and then light, is the entire way that we relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He says that Ve'ein Adam Omid al Torah Ela Imkem Nichshobahem that a person can never access Torah unless they've failed in it. Unless a person has tasted the pain of questioning Hashem, of tasting the absence of Hashem in their lives, of doubting whether Hashem is in charge of their Shalom bias or not, a person can never come to believe in the power of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the day-to-day of their life. A mensch, a person who goes around the world feeling okay, say there all the time, 
has never tasted the light of Emunah. Emunah, faith, like we said, is only born out of darkness. Judaism is not a religion of Yidia. It's not a religion of knowledge. It's a religion of faith. It's a religion that says, in spite of the fact that I have no idea what in the world is going on in my life, in the life of my children, in the life of my spouse, in the life of my community, no matter how much effort I put in, I still choose to believe in you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the Mila of Knesset Yisrael. That's the Mila of Avram Avinu, who confronted a world on fire, and he said, you know what? The only way to handle any of this is to believe in you. That's the Kheris of, of Pesach, the Kheris to question Hashem, something that no other religion has. Questioning God is seen as, as kfira, as, as heresy. But in Judaism, the question is the greatest way of connecting to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rabbi Nachman says something remarkable. And again, this is just a source text from Rabbi Nachman. I'm training myself to speak less about Rabbi Nachman because everything can be seen in Rabbi Nachman. But so I'm going to use one makor from Rabbi Nachman to talk about this idea. That the question about Hashem, where are you? What am I supposed to do? It's not that we're waiting for an answer from Hashem, but the question itself is how we connect to Hashem. Rabbi Nachman says as follows in the 46th Torah in the second volume of Lakutim Maharan. He says, so too when it comes to prayer, so too when it comes to connecting to God in any way. Each and every person has numerous preventions blocking them from actually davening to Hashem. Lack of faith. The fact that the person that I love went away. The fact that Parnassah didn't work out properly. The fact that my kid is not, not performing the way I need them to perform. We all have infinite amounts of reasons to not believe in prayer. Each and every one of us has more than enough reason to not believe in the power of tefillah. And that's what Rabbi Nachman calls the minios, those preventions that when a person stands in front of Shimon Esrei, they say in their minds, what in the world is the purpose of all of this? That Maurice Blanchot, a philosopher who I meant to read from his text, but I'm not going to tonight, Maurice Blanchot was a French philosopher, one of the most profound postmodern thinkers. And the only reason I bring him into the Shiram Pesach is because Maurice Blanchot was very good friends with somebody named Emmanuel Levinas. And while Emmanuel Levinas was not a religious Jew, he was the most Jewish of the French philosophers. When he came to, after the Holocaust, he decided to give Shir in Rashi and Gemara. So this is Emmanuel Levinas, who is one of the greatest philosophical thinkers of the last 200 years. Emmanuel Levinas's family was stuck in Europe during the Shoah. Maurice Blanchot, a total non-Jew, decided to risk his life and hide the family of Emmanuel Levinas. Maurice Blanchot was caught by the Nazis, Yimach Shemam Vezichram, and he was put in a firing line. And as he stood in front of the firing line, he decided in his mind that it was worth it to give my life up to protect Emmanuel Levinas and his family. And when he was standing at the ready to be murdered, Al-Kiddush Hashem Mamish, there was an explosion that took place two miles away and the Nazis, Yimachimam, ran away. So Emmanuel Levinas at that moment realized that he said, I died. I accepted the fact that I was about to die and now my thinking is going to be on a deeper level than it was beforehand. And so he was Moser Nefesh al-Kiddush Hashem. So Emmanuel Levinas says as follows about questioning. And we're going to go back to Rabbi Nachman right after. Emmanuel Levinas says as follows. He says, I'm sorry, Maurice Blanchot says, to question is to seek, and to seek is to search radically, to go to the bottom, to sound, to work at the bottom, and to finally uproot. This uprooting that holds onto the root is the work of the question. 
That means that instead of looking at questioning as a way of not believing in Hashem, questioning Hashem is a way that we hold on to our faith in Hashem and deepen our relationship with Hashem. And he says as follows, he says, Time, but time as a question, as that which through time at a certain moment in time on the Lail of Pesach, brings forth the questions as a whole. Which means to say that when I ask the Manashtana, I grew up in a household, and my father can attest to this, that I have an uncle who was a, a little bit limited in his thinking, that when we would ask the Manashtana and say all our fancy vorts on Manashtana, at the end of everything he would say, well, what about the Holocaust? And we would nod our heads and say, like, Taka, you're right. That's the biggest question of them all. Right? Like Rav Levi Yitzchak said, that four questions... I don't only have four questions, I have a million questions. That each question that we ask to Hashem is not a question of Hashem, where are you? But it's a question that goes to the core. Every question that a person asks is a question that at the end of the day is, where are you, Hashem, in my life? And he says as follows, Blanchot says, Freud more or less says that all questions randomly posed by children turn on and serve as relays for the one that they do not pose, which is the question of the origin. And Freud, as a Heiligayid, said basically that any question that you're asking is basically hiding the real question that you want to ask, which is, Hashem, where are you? The questions, the kasha that we have on Rashi or Tosfos, our tzaddikim tell us, that's also a question of, Hashem, where are you? When I ask, who's chayiv? That's also a question of, Hashem, where are you in my life? That when Rashi asks a kasha on Tosfos, or Tosfos asks a kasha on Rashi, that's also a question of Hashem, where are you in my life? Where's the clarity that I'm so deeply seeking? And Rabbi Nachman says as follows. Rabbi Nachman says, all of these questions that we ask during our tefillah, which are not simply questions of how Hashem do I serve you today, but questions of, that go to the core of Hashem, are you there? Are you even there in my life? Rabbi Nachman says, once you overcome those questions and you decide to pray, this is the concept of libo sacharcher, that after entering into these questions and not necessarily believing in a Kaddish Baruch Hu at that moment, I'm asking all these questions about how to serve Hashem at this moment, and my, my heart is wandering, my heart is circling around the inner point. But he says that once your heart is mu'ukum akmimius v'kushius v'kfiros, your heart is surrounded by all these questions and these doubts about whether a Kaddish Baruch Hu is present, when the Gemara tells us, then the Pasuk tells us that Hashem gave us Avoda Bakushui in Mitzrayim, the Zohar says that those were the Kushios that we asked on Hashem. The Shibut of Mitzrayim was the questions that we were asking on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He says, Rabbi Nachman says as follows, it's possible that these questions themselves are not simply ways to come closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but they're our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in and of themselves. That these questions don't demand an answer, but the questioning itself is the way I connect to Emuna. The fact that I'm questioning itself, like the Sodya Sharman or Futner said, that when I realize that I'm asking questions on Hashem with my mouth, the questions fall away. Because the fact that I'm fighting against Hashem for Him to show Himself means that Hashem is still present in my life. My questioning of where are you, Hashem, is the biggest raya that Hashem is still in my life. Because if He wasn't in my life, I wouldn't be questioning Him. And Rabbi Nachman says something as follows. He says, When a person asks a question on Hashem, Hashem is listening. That's what tefillah is. 
And he says, osios kushya. The word kasha, the word kushya, which means a difficulty on Hashem. Kuf shin yud aleph. The kasha in the Gemara. A kasha that we have on any hanhaga, on how our spouse is treating us and how our children are acting. He says, the Roshe Tevos, the acronym of Kushya, what does it spell out? Shma Hashem Koli Ekra. Hear me, Hashem, I'm calling out to you. Rabbi Nachman understood deeper than anybody that every time we question Hashem, it's a desire to come closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That on Leil Pesach, on Leil HaSeder, when it comes time to ask questions of Hashem, of Manishtana, of reading the Chadgadya and being left in doubt as to where exactly is the justice here, of once again opening the door for Elio Anavi and saying he's still not here, we show Aramuna that in spite of all of the questions, in spite of the infinite amount of questions that each and every one of us has, our Amuna that the fact that that Hashem will come and answer all of those questions, that's the freedom that we experience on Pesach. It's the freedom to serve Hashem even without clarity. It's the freedom to serve Hashem even when we're suffering in our own particular ways. And again, suffering here, the, the best description of trauma, the greatest trauma theory is what Chazal say, that you put your hand in your pocket and you want a dollar and you only have 99 cents. That's trauma. Because for a believing Jew, the fact that things should not go the way I expect them to go, that's enough of a trauma in the world. That's enough of a reason to say, where are you, Hashem? Why shouldn't the world go exactly the way I want it to go? It's specifically in these kushios that we find, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of Kan HaBen Shoel. Here the son asks, here the individual asks of Hashem, Hashem, all I can do is ask questions of you, and that's the deepest part of my amuna. And to end, we're going to end with a story, a sipur. It's actually a sipur of Rabbi Nachman. It's a sipur that Rabbi Nachman said, but that's the last time we'll mention Rabbi Nachman's name, because Rabbi Nachman is underneath everything, and I don't want to make myself out to be too much of a, of a breast liver. Rabbi Nachman says it's called the Maisame Maror. The story of Maror. Rabbi Nachman says as follows. There was an impoverished Jew, a beggar, who had made friends with an impoverished German individual. And both of them were just trying to get a meal. And so this Jew says to his German friend, he says, you know what, Pesach is coming up. There's going to be a ton of food. And so I'm going to teach you a little bit how to act like a Jew. And you're going to come with me on Seder night to all these houses and we're going to find all the food that we need. So he prepares him, and they come to the Seder, and this guy is waiting, and they serve him karpas. You know, if you're lucky, you're eating potatoes and salt water instead of parsley and salt water. So he eats the potato, and he says, okay, maybe some good food is coming. And he's still waiting, and he's saying, where's the food? Where's the food? And the Jew says to him, he says, wait, Achi, wait. You know, be patient. Have patience. And finally, he sees that they break matzah and this, this German individual who's acting like a Jew says, okay, I'm about to get fed. So this Jew is maybe right. And what do they bring out on the silver platter? Maror. The bitter herbs. Maror represents the bitterness that each and every one of us feels in our heart. The Arizal says that if, and based on Chazal, if you swallow maror without chewing, you're not Yotze the Mitzvah. You have to chew the maror. You have to confront the brokenness of your life. You have to confront those areas in your life where Hashem is not present. You have to confront that mariris. You have to be willing to say, here I am. I'm willing to look you in the face, that bitterness that each of us experience. I'm willing to confront you. Only when a person confronts and chews the maror and truly tastes it are they able to serve Hashem. And this, Jew, this guy says, once he tastes the maror, he says, I'm out of here. I waited long enough. There's no maror. 
And Rabbi Nachman says in the story that this Jew sees this German leave and he says, oh, lomer lahem maror. I forgot to tell him that first they serve maror. And this Jew, after fressing and eating the beautiful Seder meal, he goes back to his German friend who's sitting sabrachan and broken in his room and he's saying, what in the world was that? What joke was that that you played on me? And he said, I forgot to tell you that they serve maror first. I forgot to tell you that before you get the good meal, before you get the good answer, before Elioha Navi comes and answers all the questions, right? When there's a question in the Gemara that doesn't have an answer, Chazal end with Teku. Tishbi Yataritz Kushus Ve'abayos. Elioha Navi will come and answer all the questions that are left unanswered. Every Seder night we open the door with the Amuna, the deep Amuna that Elioha Navi will be here again this year to answer all the questions that are left unanswered. And in spite of the fact that we know he's not going to be there, we still believe and we still ask the questions and we still have that fifth coast of Geula that says Eliyahu will come and answer all the questions. But this Goy Nebuch wasn't told that they serve you Maror first. A Jew needs to understand that on Pesach, we get served Maror first. If we want to understand the beauty of a Teretz, we have to understand the beauty of Akasha. We have to understand the power that there is in questioning Hashem. And to end... I'm going to read a quote from a letter written by René Mare Rilke, a German poet who was incredible. He says as follows, Be patient to all that is unsolved in your heart and try and love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not seek answers now, which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything, Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. That on Pesach, our avoda is to live the question, is to find Hashem even in our sveikos, even in the lack of satisfaction, even though we know that when we get up and open that door for our children to show, look, Eliyahu Navi is coming, he's not going to be there. The Chiddush of Jewish history, the Chiddush of the Jewish soul is that we continue asking the questions because we know that Lavo Teku, the fact that Elio Anavi will come and answer all the questions is going to turn into Tikkun, is going to turn into a rectification. Thank you everybody for coming and, and listening to this. Oh,